Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offering a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. Psalm 128. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience with him. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Yes, this will be the blessing for the man who fears the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you live to see your children's children. Peace be on Israel. This is the word of the Lord. We have a new future-proofed roof on our building, on our ministry center, and it looks fantastic. But who's responsible for the roof? Is it you who stepped up to the challenge to give beyond what was comfortable? Is it the roofers, Phil and his crew, who did the actual work? Or is it God? Is it the Holy Spirit who is working behind the scenes, prompting this person and confirming with that person and challenging this person and reassuring that person? Is it God who gave Phil and his team the know-how and the experience and you know, the teamwork to get it done. Who is responsible for the roof? Is it us? Is it the roofers? Or is it God? And the answer, of course, is yes, yes, and yes. And that's what Psalm 127 is all about. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Now, this morning, we're actually looking at two psalms, uh, two psalms of ascent, Psalm 127 and Psalm 128. And we're doing this because they're closely related. And when you read the one, it kind of helps you to understand the other. The one helps you interpret the other. Now, a sidebar. If you're single or if you're divorced, or if you're without children, or if you are estranged from your children, uh, Psalm 127 and Psalm 128 might be a little hard to listen to at the start. You might be tempted to switch off. And I would ask you, please don't, please hang in there, because this is not just a yay happy family sermon, as it might seem. It's actually a yay God and a yay you sermon, okay? So let's start. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Who builds the house? The Lord? The builders? Well, yes and yes. What Psalm 127 shows us is what happens when we bring God into our everyday lives. What was just a thing, a house, now has meaning. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Now, that's not to say that the house won't happen or the building won't happen. Of course it will. But when God is in it, suddenly there is meaning and there is, there is new purpose. There's fresh purpose. 
Without God, Cornerstone's roof is just a roof. It's a thing that needs to be done for maintenance and protection and safety. But when God is in it, suddenly that roof has meaning. Future generations will meet under this roof to worship God and to learn about him and to hear the message of the gospel. Mission teams will be sent out from under this roof. We'll have alpha classes and children's church and mummy and me and watch parties and baptisms and Sunday worship and weddings and funerals where Jesus is made much of and all of this will take place under this roof. So in the words of Psalm 127... This building has not been built by builders laboring in vain. This thing, this roof now has meaning. It has purpose. It has heft. It has eternal weight and substance in a sense. And Psalm 127 invites us to bring God into our everyday lives in the same way. You see, it's not just church buildings or temples that are built with meaning. It's our lives. It's our homes. The home where you eat breakfast is just as sacred as the church building. The church or or the home where you eat breakfast is just as sacred as the church building. Now, Now, the church building is sacred. It's holy. It's set apart because it is built on a specific idea to know Jesus and to grow in Jesus and to show Jesus to others. And it's this idea that gives it its meaning. It's this idea that that uh, that gives it its purpose, that this building is built on an idea. And similarly, uh, every home is built on an idea. And whichever idea gets the most traction in your home or the most airplay in your home, whichever idea gets a grip on your family, is the one on which your home is built. Therefore, if Jesus is central and if he's talked about and if he's discussed, then the idea of Jesus as Lord will will become the cement that holds your home together. Okay, I'd like you to listen to these words from this book called Mama Bear Apologetics. Mama Bear Apologetics, which Nathan recommended to me and which I'm reading now and which I would recommend reading if you want to learn how to build a home built on on good ideas. Mama Bear Apologetics. And there's also a podcast which you can listen to. And this is what the author of Mama Bear Apologetics, Hilary Morgan Ferrer, says. She says this, think of ideas like seeds. Whether or not a seed grows is determined by the kind of soil it is placed in and whether or not we water it. We want to nurture our children's intellectual soul so that when, not if, bad ideas are planted there, they won't grow. We don't want our children to feel like they have to choose between God and science because we've already made an effort to till their intellectual soil so that they know that science and faith are not at odds and never were. End of quotation. Now, what Hillary uh, Morgan Ferrer is saying is that it's, it's vital that the Lord is building your house, that his ideas are the foundation of your home. And if, and if, 
If God's building your house, if he's, uh, and if he's then building enough houses, then these houses make a road, and these, these roads make a subdivision, a neighborhood, a town, a city, and then verse 1b is actually taken care of, right? Unless the Lord builds a house, the builders labor in vain, then 1b, unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. Enough houses turn into a city. What God wants to do in your home in small is what he wants to do in the city in large. God's vision is for society. The psalmist then says that if your house, if your life, if your home is not built on the idea of God, you know, remembering that every home is built on one idea or another. If, if, if your home isn't built on the idea of God, then verse 2 is your reality. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. Now, this, this part, in vain you rise early and stay up late, these are your conscious hours. And this part, toiling for food to eat, is what you do in your, in your conscious hours, during your conscious hours. And so your, your, your home life and your work life and your education life and your sex life and your meal life, if these things aren't resting on the foundation of the true idea that Jesus is Lord, um, then all of this is in vain. It's the book of Ecclesiastes, right? But when our lives and our homes and our families are constructed with God as the foundation and the builder, then our homes are lifted up. They are elevated. Suddenly, they work. We live in a world that says it doesn't matter what idea your home is actually built upon. It really doesn't matter. But that's not true. And why isn't it true? Because ideas aren't neutral. Because ideas have consequences and not all ideas are equally valid. yeah, just this past week, I was listening to a Preston Sprinkle interview, um, and he was he was interviewing uh, famed famed theologian and apologist Sean McDowell, and this and this podcast is called um, is called Theology in the Raw, and I would really recommend that that you give this podcast a listen. Now, Sean um, is. He's a professor, and while, while, while he was talking with Preston Sprinkle, uh, he was sharing how him processing this concept of freedom with the students in his class. And now when he asks what, what they think about freedom, what does freedom mean to them, their general response is that being free is when you can do whatever you want as long as you don't harm anyone. And this is probably the concept of freedom that much of the Western world has bought into or subscribes to. This is the, this is the central idea that many homes nowadays are built upon. But then Sean uh, went on to challenge his students and he got them to think of a piano or more specifically a, a pianist, a piano player. He asks them this, who is the freest piano player? Is it the person who thinks that they can play whatever they want to as long as they don't hurt anyone? And so without any training, they, you know, they just come along and they bang on the piano and, and, and they thump on the piano. Is this person the most freest piano player? Or is it the person who has put in the time and the training and the discipline to truly understand what the piano was made for and how best 
they can interact with it. You see, uh, when I listen to John Legend or Alicia Keys or Elton John play on the piano, I'm so glad that they've learned how to play it. I'm so, uh, I'm so glad that they, that they express their freedom in submitting to the purpose that the piano was created for, in learning scales, in learning theory, and so on and so on. I, I'm so glad that Elton John didn't just sit down at the piano for the first time and say, well, I'm free and then start randomly thumping his hands down on random keys and running his hands up and down the you know the keyboard and you know uh, you know and then he says well i call this song rocket man what what would that have been like what, what would the history of rock been like if this is how we treated the piano but instead the piano is built on an idea, a concept of scales and chords and theory, and it plays best when it's engaged with, with this idea in mind. And God's idea for a home was built on an idea, and it plays best when it is engaged with, with God's idea in mind. And this is where we start to see the two Psalms, 127 and 128, start to, start to connect, start to interweave. You see, Psalm 128 verse 1 says this, Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Or to put it in a different way, ideas have consequences. In 127, the, the overarching idea is that the Lord builds the house and then the consequence is that that home life now has meaning and value and purpose. Whereas in 128, the idea is fearing the Lord, which leads to obedience, which leads to eating the fruit of your labor. Ideas have, have consequences. Okay, let's have a pause for a moment. And let's recognize that home life is not easy right now. It's tough. It's tough for everyone. In this moment in time, school is home and work is home. It used to be that school was school and home was home and work was work and home was home. But now school is home and work is home. And, you know, we used to have friends over to play, but now we can't have friends over to play. And so, you know, the things that home didn't used to be, it now is. And those things that it used to be, that safe place of hanging out with friends and spending time, it's no longer able to be like that. And so it's really important in these upside down times that we start to turn our homes right side up again. And it starts with an idea to reestablish our homes on. That's how we turn our homes right side up again. We need a seed of an idea, as Farah mentioned, as I mentioned earlier, a seed that we can plant. And as I read the Bible, as I think of this idea of seeds planting, there's, there's, there's no better starting point than Deuteronomy 6 verse 9. That will allow us or will show us what the starting point looks like to allow the Lord to build our houses, our homes in the midst of these upside down times. And so as I read, please read along with me, uh, read out loud. Here we go. Okay. Everyone reading together. Uh, here we go. Sorry. Okay. Here we go. Reading together. One, two, three. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. I hope that you're reading along with me. If not, start now. These commands that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So what are the ideas that we see here? Well, first, to know, we, we, we need to know God, that he is one. We need to understand that he's one. We need to know God. Secondly, to love God, it says, with everything. And thirdly, I think we do number one and number two, okay, but we don't do number three so well, which is to talk about God, which is to impress biblical truths on your family, to help memorize truths. And so I would encourage you to read Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9, and to ask yourself whether as a single or as a couple, as a parent, as a family, you know, as a child, as a husband, uh, you know, as a wife, whatever, um, how can you foster and encourage these ideas in your house so that your home is a place that God builds? The rest of Psalm 127 and 128 then paints a picture for ancient Israel what this household might look like. And it's, a, it's, it's, it's in these parts of these Psalms that our postmodern sensibilities might get rubbed up the wrong way. Okay, Psalm 127, 3 to 5 talks about children are a blessing from the Lord, offspring a reward from him, like arrows in the hands of a warrior, a children born in one's youth. It says that they will not be put to shame. Uh, it's a blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. Now, as a brief note of explanation, uh, that this image here is that of is 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 that there's a father who's in court, and it's a place that he'd naturally feel intimidated and nervous and worried. But because he's got a football team of children with him, he's standing t- tall and strong and confident. But even with that as a historical explanation, these verses can sound a bit maybe cringy to our ears. And then in Psalm 128, verse 3 to 5, it gets even worse. It talks about blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Yes, this will be the blessing for the man who fears the Lord. It feels like a, a Norman Rockwell painting with, you know, with a picture-perfect family or or like a Bob Ross painting with the happy little trees in the background, right? It's too good to be true, it seems. And my cynical self, when I read that, it says, sure, God, whatever you say. I look around at the world and I look around at my own home and I ask, does this ring true? Is the blessed life a life that is replete with children, with a fruitful vine-like wife, and with olive shooty children all sat around the table? Is this what the blessed life is? Now, the first thing 
as I answer that question, the first thing I'll say is this, and I'm saying this to me as much as I am to you. If you're tempted to rubbish these blessings with a cynical whatever God, I invite you to pause. You see, our job is not to interpret the Bible through our current circumstances, even though that may be tempting. Our job is actually to interpret our current circumstances through, through the Bible. When we look at life, the Bible is our interpretive lens. So there clearly is a blessing to be seen here. And so as you look around and if you have a family that is thriving and is growing in faith, then this is a blessing from the Lord. It's a gift from him. It's a beautiful image. You know, quivers full of children, fruitful vines, olive shoots. And if this is you, if you, if this is your experience, then I'd encourage you not to be proud or to say, well, we raised our kids right. Not to say that, but instead, I encourage you to count your blessings and to recommit yourselves to allowing God to co-build your house, your home. Okay, so how do I know that you shouldn't take full credit for the raising of your kids? You know, how do I know that? Especially if if you've truly put in the hours, you know, in the work. Well, here's how I know that we should not take credit for how our, how, our, how our kids turn out. First of all, we are told in Psalm 127, right, that God builds the house, right? That's clear. So that's firstly. Now, secondly, and perhaps even more tellingly, um, Psalm 127 tells us that God is working while we're asleep. That's when our brain is off, that at that moment when we can take no credit for anything. That's what verse 2 of Psalm 127 says. It says this, yes, he can provide for those whom he loves even when they sleep. Or as the New American Standard Version says, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. And so God is on task, even when you're shut down, when you are least productive, when you're most vulnerable, God is still working. In that moment where you can take no credit for anything, God is still working. So he's the one who gets the credit and the glory, right? Now, I want to speak to those who feel alienated by Psalm 127 and 128, which is probably many of us. You know, we did all that we could and our kids have walked away from faith. Our child is struggling emotionally or maybe developmentally and will never be quote unquote normal. Or maybe we've tried for years and we can't have children. Or maybe um, I'm single even though I long for companionship. Or I'm single because I experience same-sex attraction. Or I'm single because God has, God has called me to it. If, if, you, if you resonate with any of those scenarios, then the first thing that I would say to you is to still commit to God, to allowing God to build your house and to watch over your city, as Psalm 127 says. Still hold on to that as a commitment. Don't let that go. Even if your house is a house of one, I would invite you to invite the Lord in because once God is in residence, it's now a house of two or actually uh, four if you count the three members of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
And so choose to live out Psalm 128 verse, verse 1. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. Don't even read, read the rest of the psalm. Just read that one bit and hold on to that. And the second thing I'd like to say to you is, is, is this. Is that Psalm 127 and Psalm 128 aren't the only blessed life. Okay, they, Psalm 127 and 128 paint a picture of a blessed life, but not the blessed life. And so if these Psalms don't reflect your life, then you aren't not blessed. After all, Jesus was single, right? And Jesus chose to live a single life. There is no moral reason why Jesus couldn't have taken a wife, at least nothing that we read in the Bible. And yet he chose to live out his incarnation, his time on earth as a single, and no one in their right mind would call Jesus unblessed, right? You know who else was single? Paul. In fact, 1 Corinthians 7 verse 7 says, I wish that all of you were as I am. He so loved the life and valued his single life that he wished everyone was experiencing that. And then then later in the chapter, he actually explains what he means. He says, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man like him is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife wife and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit, but a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Undivided hearts, undivided hearts. The, you know, Paul's issue here is, is to be free from concern, to be single-minded. Paul is saying that single people have freedom to serve God um, wholeheartedly in a way that married people never have. And in fact, I would say that married people without children um, have ways that they can serve God uniquely in ways that married people with children aren't, aren't able to do. Paul is saying that here that, 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 that the single person has the advantage. Paul is saying that the single person is actually better off. And much as I love having a family, there are days when I wonder what would it be like to be single again. To serve on the mission field and just to raise enough support money for one person in, instead of five so with this in mind, how do we then make sense of the blessings in Psalm 127 and 128? Well, this is what I think. This isn't based on good biblical scholarship. It's just my thoughts. I think that society needs Psalm 127 and 128. I think that society needs nuclear families made up of transformed people who are teaching and impressing God's truth on their families. Yes, society needs Paul's. It, society needs people who can move and who can maneuver, who are free to go wherever God calls them to without even worrying about 
anyone else. Society needs singles and childless couples who are, who are caught up with a vision and a purpose beyond themselves. Society needs that. But society needs Christ-centered families where the things of God are talked about, where Christ is exalted and the Holy Spirit moves. Our world needs these families because these families are the spiritual nursery for future leaders, future servants, and future influencers. We, we need family units that, that sing the song that leads us into trust and obedience. Our children need to know that God can be trusted and that God has to be obeyed. We need families you know, that are built by God, Psalm 127, because these are the families who then stand watch over the city, 127 verse 2. It's a powerful image it's a powerful truth. F- families that are built by God that in turn stand watch over the city. These families are the hot houses of future social change and future spiritual change. But like I said, as I close, if you have a family, there's a good chance that your home might look a bit or a lot, you know, different from Psalm 127 and 128, which is okay. Because Psalm 127 and 128 actually give you something to pray towards and to aim towards and to strategize towards and to adjust towards. You can start doing regular devotions and live out Psalm 127 and 128. You can watch right now media together. You, you can pray together. You can listen to podcasts that grow your faith. You can talk about current affairs and bring a biblical perspective to it. In fact, you know, as a family, as a couple, as a single, whatever you are right now, why not one meal time actually come up with a one sentence concept or a one sentence idea uh, that you can build your home upon? This is what the Wallaces are about. This is what so and so is about. This is what our household is about. This is our fundamental principle. And you can engage. Your kids, you know, in the idea and then write it down and then stick it up somewhere really prominently. And then you can keep each other accountable to it. Um, You can ask things like, if we do this or that, will it help us support our family idea or not? Is it creating, if we do this or that, is it creating the home that we want to create? You can use it as a a decision-making matrix, Friends, while you cannot take credit for the spiritual growth in your home because it's God who builds the house, what you can do is that you can create an atmosphere. You can create a family posture where this spiritual growth takes place. You can pray this, Lord, I'm not equal to the task, but Lord, would you build this house? In fact, I'd ask you now... Now to join with me and to pray, as I pray this prayer, let's pray. I'm not equal to the task, but Lord, build this house. Don't let me labor in vain. Don't let me watch over this city in vain. 
Don't let me rise early and stay up late in vain. Instead, show me how to build a house based on an idea. And may that idea be you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can sing the song that leads you to trust and obedience. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. So whether you're called to singleness or marriage, whether your home is filled with oodles of little olive shoots or your home's hallways echo with the sound of heartache, Whichever you are, let me leave you with this blessing from the end of Psalm 128. May the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you live to see your children's children. Peace be on Israel. Amen. Amen.